So you worked really hard, obviously. What was the feeling like when you found out that you were nominated for your first award? I was kind of dumbfounded because I, a girlfriend of mine who was a producer on a show that I was working on called me and woke me up. Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, because I don't think about that stuff. Like, it's so silly because you hear people say that and go, yeah, right. Like, you know, when people are nominated for Oscars, you're like, come on, you were waiting for it. But, but truthfully, you just don't, you don't really think about it because you, you've done the project and you're, you're, you know, for that particular season, we were done and you were obviously proud of what you did, but you just let, you forget about it. And then to see somebody gives you a nod for it is, is really flattering. Hello, and welcome to Rain Magazine's podcast. I am Nopala Rain, and here at Rain, we are on a mission to uncover the next big names in fashion, culture, and technology. Our goal is to inspire millions worldwide, and we are excited to have Lisa DeRue here with us today. And Lisa is making a big name in Hollywood, and she's also a creative entrepreneur. So I am super excited to get to know Lisa a little more. We featured Lisa in our most recent edition, our spring edition, volume 33 of Rain, and she's going to give us a little more insight on her journey, both uh, in the world of Hollywood and film and television, as well as her roller coaster ride of entrepreneurship. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Yes, I am so excited. Now, you are an athlete or were an athlete, and I was uh, an athlete at one point. I still run. I'm excited to get your viewpoint because I know you bring sports into a lot of what you do. But let's start with where you are from and where you grew up. What was it like in Winnipeg? <laughs> what was it like in Winnipeg? Um, Winnipeg, Manitoba is the uh, center of Canada. It's a great place to grow up, very supportive of the arts. Um, just good people. It's a smaller city compared to the rest of the cities in Canada. And uh, I, was, I was lucky. I had a good family and, and a really good upbringing in a smaller city that, like I said, is very supportive. So you mentioned in a previous conversation that Canada's culture in terms of going away to school is unique to what we do here traditionally in the U.S. And you had an opportunity to come here on a scholarship, Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, for ice hockey, which is also unusual, at least for here. And you decided to take a sharp turn to performing arts. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah. So I played hockey growing up from about 12 years old on. And so when I was in my grade 12 year, I got offered to go play for, of all places, the Bemidji um, College in Minnesota. Oh, again? The Bemidji? For Bemidji. Ah, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> I know, right? Well, but their team is called the Bemidji Beavers, which already should have been a red flag. No offense to anybody. Else. Just there. Yeah, but I kept dislocating my shoulder in grade 12. I did it in uh, August, December, and then March. And I'd gone to Canada Games that year, which is uh, kind of like an amateur Olympics for Canada, like for younger athletes. And it was really, it was cool, but I didn't have a great camp because I had just dislocated my shoulder for a second time right before we went. And so I knew I had to get it fixed. My mom had suggested rather than go and just end up being injured and on the bench the whole time, take a couple courses at university here locally, which I did. And one of them was a theater course. And I absolutely fell in love when I went and saw Chorus Line of all things. This girl was fan kicking and singing, belting her guts out. And I thought, holy crap, that was hard. And it was just a complete different uh, thing than I had experienced with hockey. And so 
uh, within, oh God, within weeks, I was taking up to nine hours of dance and um, got into singing and all that stuff, completely immersed myself in the theater program at the University of Winnipeg and, and got scooped up by a stunt coordinator who taught stage combat at the university. And it just kind of went from there completely 180 from what I was thinking I was going to be doing, which was going to be an athletic therapist. Yeah. And you had a full ride, if I'm not mistaken, to a university here in the U.S. So I'm curious, what was going on? Were your parents completely supportive with the switch? And how did you break the news to them that you weren't going to take this? Well, I kind of always been the black sheep of the family where, you know, my, my parents are really supportive and great humans, but still, you know, I'm always the one that is a little outspoken and they're like, Shh, just Lisa, just stop. <laughs> so, so they were, I don't think they were completely surprised that I yet again threw another curveball at them. But I will say my, um, my mom's response was, well, and, and she's completely on board, but at the time she went, you want to be an actress? Well, you and 3 million other people. So I, I never let that go. I always bug her about that every time. Like even she went and saw a premiere last night that I went, that I was in and, and she's like, I loved it. I was like, yeah, you and 3 million other people. <laughs> yeah. She just, she's so fun. She's great about it. My dad had a little bit of a harder time because, you know, that was our thing. Like we didn't have boys in the family. I was the tomboy. So he, he was a little choked, but I will say the first time I brought home a check from doing any kind of film work, he was like, that a girl. So okay. <laughs> that, that. all right. He got over it real fast. Real fast. <laughs> I I really would like to try to wrap my head around this. How long did it take you to acclimate to the performing arts? I mean, doing ice hockey, yes, I'm sure you're agile and strong, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll be coordinated when you're being caught a dance routine or singing, you know, to see how that was, that experience. I would say I there was a few years of being very humbled. I thought that I would be phenomenal at it because I was young and eager. And I was like, I could do this. Walked into a ballet class with uh, six-year-olds and my teacher was a very good looking 16 year old or 17 year old guy. And, and right away you're going, Oh crap. But I will say uh, probably the singing thing only took about a year or so to really get comfortable with it because I mean, someone had given me the advice, however loud or however strong you feel when you laugh, those are the same muscles. So if you can laugh, which I have a pretty distinct loud laugh, I knew I would I would be okay with the singing thing. Plus, my parents are the kind of people that are quite good at a lot of different things. And dancing was always something like we'd go, you know, to weddings and stuff. My parents would be on the dance floor. like So movement was very, uh, came naturally to me. It wasn't that big of a change, I would say. It's always been part of my life. I would say overall to really get my first gig probably took, it took about two years. And my first role was anybody's in West Side Story, but she didn't have to sing necessarily or dance. She was just a scrappy tomboy, which was perfect. So, was, that, was that a theatrical production? Yeah, it was a musical theater, musical theater show locally in Winnipeg. That was my first big kick into the industry, I guess you could say. One of the things that stood out to me when you were just speaking was, you humbled yourself. I mean, not many people would, as a young adult or an older adult, would feel confident enough to walk into a class, a ballet class, no other, with six-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. How did you not, I mean, like, how did you not, like, run after the first week? I know. Well, I think, I think it goes back to just growing up playing sports. It really is a 
little bit different mindset where with the arts, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, I was rejected or what have you. Or, But with sports, it's like, okay, well, if you don't make the team in the fall, you have a year to figure out how to get better at something, get some feedback, you know, work on your skills and go back and try again. You were never rejected. You just weren't picked at that moment. So I think the idea in my head that, well, I started, I've always kind of started late. Like I started into I don't know if you have ringette in the States, but back in the day, I started ringette when I was nine. And then I started in hockey when I was 12. I was always a little bit late to the party. Naturally, I remember with hockey, I remember picking one girl that I thought was awesome. And I kept thinking to myself, I just want to be as good as her. And by, you know, year one or two, I'd surpassed her. So I think by just making a goal that this was something I was going to do, there was no doubt in my mind that regardless, eventually, it's kind of almost, you know, I, I had a really good mentor once say to me, you know, walk into something knowing that you want to be the worst because five years from now, we'll see who's laughing. And I thought that was great. Feedback. Nice. Okay. I'm a big, big fan of dance. And so I'm going to touch on your success and shall we dance? Ooh. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. Oh, well, I went to an open dance call. And again, I would think I was 22, 21, I don't remember. But I went with the idea that I knew everyone in the city in Winnipeg. It was an open dance call because they had moved the production from Toronto. It was that whole SARS outbreak at the time. They moved it to Winnipeg and every dancer under the sun went. And I was brand new. My teachers were all there. But again, I just went with a mindset. I was going to have fun. And I kind of just thought, well, if it's going for a certain I guess, flavor, I should dress like that. And so I dressed myself up as if I was this like, almost like a little bar star with like my hair was all done up and a cool outfit and whatever. And just went and had fun. And six hours later, I was down to the final 20. And I couldn't believe it because my teachers had all been cut. But I just went in there with the the idea that I'm just gonna go have fun and forget everybody else. And I ended up booking it. And so I got to go hang out on set with Jennifer Lopez and Stanley Tucci. And you know, Your teachers got cut. That's crazy. Yeah, that was a that was a little bit of an eye opener. But I didn't notice until the end of the night when I'm going, where did everybody go? And my buddy was in the same boat as me. He'd come with me. We'd pretend to be our dance partners and whatever. He's like, Lisa, they all got cut like two hours ago. It's like, whoa, we need to pay more attention to my surroundings. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's pretty awesome. It was awesome. It was great. So you worked really hard, obviously. What was the feeling like when you found out that you were nominated for your first award? I was kind of dumbfounded because I, a girlfriend of mine who was a producer on a show that I was working on called me and woke me up. Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, because I don't think about that stuff. Like, it's so silly because you hear people say that and go, yeah, right. Like, you know, when people are nominated for Oscars, you're like, come on, you were waiting for it. But, but truthfully, you just don't, you don't really think about it because you, you've done the project and you're, you're, you know, for that particular season, we were done and you were obviously proud of what you did, but you just let you forget about it. And then to see somebody gives you a nod for it is, is really flattering because you go, okay, well, I knew what I was trying to do. I'm, I'm just really excited that you got it. It was dumbfounding. I got up and had coffee and called my mom like normal people <laughs> would, I guess. And it was great. <laughs> What did your mom say? What do you think she said? Oh, you and three million other people. <laughs> you gotta love moms for keeping you grounded, right? Oh, she's great. She's great. Yeah, she's a good jokester. She was funny about it. No, she was proud. Of course she was proud. Yeah, of course. Of course. A few of your projects, The Perfect Catch, The Chronicle Mystery, Supernatural, Heartland, uh, are well known. If you could pick one that you had the most memorable experience in, which would it be and why? 
Oh gosh, for sure. Prego land. It was a, an indie that I did in 2014 and we got to go to TIFF, which was awesome. But mostly because, uh, when I moved out West, I was introduced to an actress named Sonia Bennett, who somebody had said to me, if you want to be a well-respected Canadian actress, uh, you want to be like Sonia Bennett. And I got to know her and she's just an awesome human and she wrote it. And so knowing, going into the audition or I wasn't, I was in LA, so I taped it, but taping it, knowing that it was her project she wrote and it would be to play her sister was just phenomenal. But on top of that, when I booked it, I found out that James Kahn was going to be our dad. So spending, I guess, two weeks or three weeks with James Kahn was ridiculous. His stories from the Playboy Mansion, like, come on. It was so cool. The whole experience was awesome. Wow. Well, I recently saw the trailer for Breakthrough, and it just blew me away. I'm, like, in line. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What was it like filming that movie? Well, two parts to that. The filming national story was, it was very touching because I knew the story ahead of time. I'm a big true crime and um, like life event type show junkie. So I had seen this whole story before when it actually happened. I remember it in the news. That was pretty cool to be part of that story because you knew what this poor kid had been through, what the family had been through. And then, so that was, to be part of that was great. But then also the cast, you know, once you realize you don't really know who's casting it until you pretty much show up to work and to suddenly every time you walked into the makeup trailer it's like oh hey Topher hey Chrissy hey Dennis Haysbert are you kidding me and then Josh Lucas like who hasn't seen Sweet Home Alabama so you know it's Jake from Sweet Home Alabama beside you in the makeup trailer and you're going what Hmm. so that was was a pinch me kind of moment trying to be real cool but around all these people that you're just like shut the front door who else is gonna walk in and then suddenly, suddenly Mike Coulter from Luke Cage walks in and I'm like, I'm, I can die happy. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> if today's my last day, I am good. Yeah, I am good. <laughs> I completed everything I needed to complete. Thank you. <laughs> and for those listeners that are not familiar with Breakthrough, Breakthrough is a film that's inspired by a true story of a boy who comes back to life after drowning in a lake. So um, it looks phenomenal. Oh, it'll, you'll cry. Bring your bring your waterproof mascara and your tissues. No joke. I tried not to cry at the premiere, and instead I was like tipping forward, so the water was falling out of my eyes as opposed to running down my face. Oh, it just looks so beautiful. I, I can't yeah. wait. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. yeah. So you're not only an actor and a dancer and performer. You are also the founder of your own film studio. And what I think is super interesting is that you use a sports-minded approach to training your actors. Can you go into that? Yeah, totally. Well, like I said a little bit before, I really I come from a sports background, and that has served me so well in this industry. Again, it's not rejection; it's just how do I get better, at, at, you know, so that I can be the, the right selection. And a big part of it is it's just kind of keeping people focused on their goals as opposed to what they didn't get. And part of that is also watching tape. That's what athletes do over and over again is watch footage of, of the game or what have you of a, somebody, another player so that they can learn, you know, how to compete against them. And a lot of times with actors, you hear, oh, I don't like watching myself. And I go, okay, well, get over that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a case of, you know, you need to take the tape home after, after the class, watch it. And I always tell them, find some two things you love and one thing you want to work on, but come from it at a positive, with a positive mindset, not, oh, I don't like how I did that. It's like, okay, I could make that stronger. I can make that choice better. And, and, and I always say like, you know, 
these athletes that you look at, the world's best athlete, they didn't get there by avoiding watching themselves or avoiding watching tape. You have to. So it's a big, I think the big component of, of really being in tune with your body and then also the visualization. And then, like I said, watching footage and, and really picking the things that you can do, do better, make stronger choices on. And it really, I think, serves young actors well, so they don't get so wrapped up in their head about, you know, oh, I just, I don't understand because it, it, it is such a hard industry. You need to have a really tough mindset. And I think sports can do that for you. I love that. And it's tr- Tricities, right? Tris- Tricities. Because there's Tricities. There's three cities. <laughs> ah, Tricities. Ah, gotcha. Ah, there you go. It's the area that the studio's in. It's three small little cities that all make up what they call the Tricities. Got it. And that's in Vancouver. Uh, just outside of Vancouver, about 25 minutes. Yeah. So now you switched hats from actor to producer for Catholic pictures. What is the difference? Do you have a preference? How did you make that transition? Well, I knew deep down that that was something eventually I would move towards creative producing. I really I love it. It happened very organically. But the big switch for me was when I started to kind of delve into this idea of opening a studio and, and teaching and, and helping other people is you have to step back from the idea of being an actor where it's all about, I hate to say it, but it is really about, oh, me, me, me. Like, why didn't I get more days? Why did my scenes get cut? Why this? Why that? Whereas from the producer's point of view, I started to break it down of, okay, well, that those scenes didn't make sense in the story or, you know, budget wise, they can't afford that. And this is, you know, this is what they're offering end of story. And, and you kind of have to look at it from more of a logistic point of view, which I really started to like that. And it, I found it made me less anxious about, you know, if you're waiting about a call about a show or something to realize that there are so many people that have to basically okay you, and then they have to break it down. Does it make sense? So from a producer point of view, I really liked the fact that there was no emotion. It was just dollars, cents, you know, logistics doesn't make sense. And so I really took to that. And I, when Kafka came along and they're just starting up and they approached myself and actually my husband as well, we jumped on board right away because it's a female driven company. The Alicia Kafka is a female who started it. And uh, our VP, who's actually based in LA, Jim Rapsis, is a very experienced producer. And we thought, God, we can learn a lot from this man. So it was a no brainer. I just, I fell in love with producing. And I think moving forward, I would like to veer a little bit more towards that. I still love acting, but I think anytime I can kind of combine the two on projects, I will definitely, definitely jump on board for that. Well, knowing what you know now, let's just dive a little deeper into this roller coaster ride of entrepreneurship. What advice would you have given yourself five years ago? Well, don't let anyone else intimidate you. First of all, that doesn't serve anything. I think we, as personally, that was kind of my um, Achilles heel was at times I would just let that creep in a bit. So I'd say, get rid of that. And also to just um, welcome changes. In other words, if things are thrown at you that maybe not what you expected or what you wanted, be open to that. You know, I was, I used to be really good at that. And I think when I got into acting, sometimes you get a little hyper-focused on what you want. And so, you know, if it's that whole, it's a cliche, but you know, if one door closes, the window opens, all that stuff, it's true. Be aware of what other opportunities are coming at you when the one you specifically were going after perhaps didn't work out the way you want. Be open to everything because there is absolutely no, no bad option when it comes to just, you know, an experience or a learning lesson. Definitely be open to everything. I agree. I I say a lot of times that when a door closes, it actually brings you closer to what you want to do. The no is actually bringing you closer to the right yes. I like your um, version better. That, 
invaluable, <laughs> you know, but, and it's all your perspective, right? Like you said, if you come up on this one thing, you know, flexible and open is so important. You're getting something from it, that experience regardless. So I love that. I love that. And how would you describe what a creative entrepreneur is? I remember when we first launched Rain. And we decided to put these two words together that didn't at the time exist together. People are like, what, what, how would you describe creative entrepreneurship? I don't, I don't even know how to put that into words. <laughs> like, I would just say, uh, as an actor, you pretty much are instinctually a creative entrepreneur. You know, you, an actor overall is an entrepreneur in every sense of the word. And I think I didn't get that. I didn't get the business side of it until way into it, like years into the industry. Um, so I would say overall, if you're going to say what, how do you describe a creative entrepreneur? It's an actor. It's somebody who is of a creative mindset that is also at the same time forced to be, you know, kind of that left brain and right brain person where one side of you is instinctually always trying to create and trying to do things like that. But you have to be that other side of your brain where you have to be your own accountant and your own, you know, um, manager and all those things. So yeah, I, I would just say me personally, it's, it's exactly that. It's an actor. Right. <laughs> right. You, your, your gift is your revenue source and you have to manage both. That's it, it's, yeah. It's really, it's trying to balance the yin and yang of that because mm-hmm. I, I do think a lot of times as a creative person, you, you get really caught up in, and again, it's me, 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 my, what do I need or what am I getting? But the other side of it is an entrepreneur, you know, it's, it's a relentless fight to get your business off the ground and, and there is no time off and there is no, you know, day off or whatever. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of rough because you're amalgamating the two, but you have to, if you want to succeed in the film industry, it's just inevitable. Right. And to your point, there's one side of acting where it is, you know, self-focused because you have to bring your best self. And then there's the other side where you're producing art for the greater good to inspire the greater good, right? And both of those feed off each other. And I, I feel that the entrepreneurs that I've been blessed to have come across are always creating something to make their communities better. And so I think that's also the overlap in terms of what you're describing as an actor as being a creative entrepreneurs. So balance sometimes doesn't work and we get burned out. Think back to a time that you were burnt out and, and how you overcame that. Can you share that with us? I don't know if it was like a full burnout, but I definitely felt a lot of pressure all of, uh, about a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> I have a brand new baby. She's, eight, she's nine weeks this month. But last week, we had to go to L.A. for the premiere for Breakthrough. So within the span of one week, we flew with her for the first time. We went to the premiere we had a whole bunch of meetings with different directors down in LA for Kafka. And then I had a pitch at Hallmark on Friday morning. And then I hopped back on a plane on Saturday morning to get back to the studio to teach all weekend. And it was just, it became just kind of a a whirlwind of, I don't even know what day of the week it is, but I loved what I was doing. So come this Monday, my husband, bless his heart was like, Lisa, you need sleep girl. So I, uh, I I got about eight hours and he bottle fed the baby for me, which was awesome. So yeah, I don't know. You know what? Another, I would say another point, um, a really good example would be last summer. I I was working on a couple different shows at once. So I was jumping back and forth between Calgary and then here. And then I had a friend's wedding in Winnipeg that I refused to miss. So it was one of these where like you're shooting all week between two different cities. So you're bouncing back and forth on the plane. And then 
on the weekend and had this wedding. But my course, of course, Murphy's Law, my filming on Friday night went until early Friday morning. So I had an hour sleep in my car at the airport before flying to Winnipeg for this wedding. Came in the car, still had my makeup on from set. And ended up going to the wedding all night till two in the morning and then hopped back on a plane the next day. So I think it's hard to remember that, you know, you're human and sometimes you have to say no to things. My mom always says that no is a complete sentence. You do have to just sometimes set boundaries, but also sometimes too, you have to accept that, you know what, I'm going to be really tired for a while, but take work while you get it and don't miss things just because you're tired. You can sleep later. And as long as you feel good, you know, and you're not sick, you got this. Love that. (laughs) So you are a producer, actor, teacher, instructor. Yeah. Yeah. And and new mom. Yes. Okay, guys. So for all those that are listening, you can do everything. Okay. Lisa is handling her business. I love it. (laughs) What project are you most excited about that's on the horizon? It's so tacky and silly, but being a new mom, to be honest, like I know that's so cliche, but I'm so jazzed. Like I didn't, I, I didn't ever think I actually wanted kids. I was cool with not having kids. And all of a sudden my husband one day just turned and was like, I think I want kids. I was like, holy bananas. We better hurry up. Like we're going to run out of time. And, and we were so lucky to get pregnant so quickly, which I know is not the case for a lot of people. So, um, even right up until I had her, I, I was a big advocate for go back to work right away and do everything you want to do and all that stuff. But there's just something that really softened inside of me the minute that I had her that I just went, you know what? I'm jazzed to work and all that stuff and all the stuff I've got going on is great. I'm doing it for her in a way to provide for her. But I'm just so excited on the days where I can sit in my pajamas and hold her and just, you know, everyone keeps saying enjoy the time because they grow so fast. So yeah, that's probably, I mean, from a business point of view, I would have to say I did my very first animation, like voicing animated characters in the past couple of years. And so the, the little DVDs are all coming out. So that's probably one that I am genuinely looking forward to. It's the Norm of the North DVD franchise. I get to voice a little polar bear. Um, but <laughs> but from, a, from a total personal point of view, just being mom, I'm so jazzed. Yeah. What, what's your daughter's name? Everly. Everly. Everly Violet. So we call her Evie. Yes, Everly Violet. Yeah, it's beautiful. She's cute. We'll keep her. <laughs> she says she's cute. <laughs> she's cute. <laughs> I'll keep her. <laughs> what would you say the biggest problem that creatives face today? And if you had the ability to solve that, how would you do that? Uh, probably themselves. We're very, we're, uh, very hyper-focused on ourselves, I think, when we first start out in the business. And um, I would say the biggest problem is just letting other people invade your brain in a way. You know, now with all the social media, everyone has direct access to you, which is great. And it gives you a voice, which is amazing. But it also lets naysayers right into your home. And I think if you're addicted to your phone and if you're constantly checking your social media and all that, it can be really hard perhaps when you're not working or when people don't have nice things to say to you um, to just step back and kind of go, why did I get into this? You know, what are my strengths and and really focus on what you can do to keep yourself happy and positive from a, a little more practical point of view. I would say, you know, it's always hard when you're starting out in this business back in the day, we've all done it serving. That was, that was a rough one to wrap your brain around kind of just constantly going into that industry on top of having to navigate the film industry. It was, uh, 
I would say if you can do something from a business point of view that can run alongside of the acting portion that will allow you, like, for example, owning your own business, get a business degree, start something up for yourself that you're really proud of and, and something that you can control because acting you can't. So creatively, I think you need to do things for yourself that fill you up as a person that you're not going to have to rely on other people. And then, and then just completely keep your head out of the mentality of, well, getting validation from other people. Do things for you. That's probably to simplify, do things for you that fill you up, that make you feel good about yourself. And don't worry about other people. Just get out of your own way and just focus on what you want. Such good points. And I know that sort of ties in a little bit to wellness, right? The mindset and how social media can, you know, deliver some really negative, you know, side effects as as much as the positive that it offers us. What would be some wellness hacks that you would like to share? Well, I would say take take the time every day for yourself. I learned from a very young age from watching my mom. Again, my mom sounds like a superhero. Um, I'm going to call her after this. But to wake up first thing in the morning early. And, and to have an hour to yourself. She was a school teacher, so she had to be out of the house at a certain time every day. So she would get up an hour, an hour and a half before we did so she could have her coffee and read the paper. And that hour, I learned that that is my time in the morning to just reset. I get up in the morning before my husband, um, you know, and just take the time. You have no phones. Nobody's bothering you. If you want to read a paper, watch the news, whatever. Just take the time for yourself. And to me, that puts me in the right headspace for the rest of the day. Some people do it at the end of the night. For me, it's the morning. And I think I'm a big believer mind over matter. I was diagnosed when I was 16 with MS. And I, my mom and dad just were crystal clear. You either own it or you let it own you. And it was made very evident to me that if you choose to try to lead a positive life, regardless of what happens to you, you will be happy and you will have a positive life. And and so I, I really think you need to, but you need to work at it every day. There's no quick fix. You need to put yourself in a good headspace. And I've been knock on wood, and I know it's not the same for everyone. I've been super healthy, never had any problems since I was mid twenties. And um, yeah, I really, I think it's it's a big component of just choosing to live a positive life, which is not easy, but it can be done. Oh, it just gave me goosebumps. You shared so many good points today, but I'd like to wrap up our conversation with some words of wisdom. And is there anything else you'd like to add that you haven't already discussed in the interview? Parting words for any budding creatives or entrepreneurs. Keep it simple. I say it to everybody. You do you. Don't worry about everybody else. Just find what makes you happy. Go after it. And every time somebody says to you, oh, honey, which is kind of that, yeah, sure, as if that's going to happen mentality, just keep, keep a list, keep a running tally so that one day you can thank them all. Just because that'll be fuel for your fire. So you do you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. This is so good. I, I definitely learned a lot and I'm, I'm taking notes as you're going. <laughs> such good stuff. Such good stuff. And yes, spend as much time as you can with Everly. It does go fast from experience. It really, really does. Awesome. And um, there's no other love than that little baby love. So definitely get as much as you can. For those of you that are just joining us, we had the pleasure of speaking with Lisa DeRue from Florida, and she is an actress, an entrepreneur, and a new mom that we just found out about, and uh, an amazing person. And so check out her story in our spring edition, volume 33, to get more insight on Lisa and what she's doing. 
Also come back and listen to our next interview. We are here to inspire millions worldwide. And thank you again, Lisa. It was a pleasure. And thank you listeners for joining Rain Magazine, where we uncover the next big names in fashion, culture, and technology.